One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city wall were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby. The seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I can tell you how excited you're going to be. Because if your birthday is in December or January, it's always a bit of a damp squib. Uh, Four of our family, uh, Rowan on the 5th, me on the 15th, uh, Joanna in, in early January 20th and Charlotte, uh, 31st of December. We, we know that experience. Uh, those of you who have birthdays in lovely times of the year will not have a clue what I'm talking about. But any of you who are December, January birthdays will know, oh, yeah, Ray. It's very hard to get excited about birthdays. Uh, Charlotte is a little bit of an exception, 31st of December. She's coming up to a third birthday. At the moment, she thinks the whole world stays up till midnight and lights fireworks in her honour, but she will, she will learn. It won't take long, will it, before she works out. Uh, but instead, we get so excited about Christmas. 
We can't get excited about birthday because everybody goes, oh, I'll give you a birthday present, Ray, at Christmas. But at Christmas, Christmas is incredible. Uh, I, I find it hard to get to sleep. I'm awake all night. I'm wondering what's happening. I'm looking forward to the next day. And that was just last year. You could have, when you should see me when I was a child, me and my sister were impossible with our mum and dad. Uh, even when we knew the whole kind of story, you know, as it, you know, as it's generally told when we were like 14 and 15, was just as excited as when we were four. Such a wonderful time. Presents, food, family, friends, telly. Oh, it was just brilliant experience of excitement. I wonder whether you get excited about Christmas as well as your own birthday. Um, now, by, by the way, just a little spoiler hint there. It's not to say you shouldn't do, you know what, somewhere in April and May just because you don't want your children born in... Like, have you got that? It's, it's like, you got that? Okay. We're just kind of just telling you the experience of what it is to be a December, January birthday. But, but Christmas exciting. Okay. So let's now open the Bible. And look at something that puts Christmas, birthdays, Olympic Games as a sort of pale sideshow. These last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation are just astonishing. The author wants us, as it were, to be on our tiptoes. As it were, our hearts pounding and say, this is how the story, it kind of ends, but this is the beginning of the never-ending story. And, and he wants us to sort of just be, just as like, oh, you know, Louis Armstrong, uh, that's a great song. Uh, when the saints go marching in, when the saints go marching in, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Well, this is the saints go marching in. This is it. This is what he was singing about. That's what that great song's about. It's when all God's people come home. Or more likely, home comes to them. And they're in this fantastic new experience. A new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Chapter 21 uh, begins, verse 1. The first heaven and the first that had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Uh, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. One of the wonderful days of my life was walking my daughter down the aisle as a bride. And here is the bride being readied for her husband. And now God is dwelling amongst us. And there will be. We've just sung it. No more. All those horrible things. No more. No more. No more tears. No more pain. No more crying. No more death. For that's all gone. And now we've got the presence of the Lord. And we've got this fantastic new place to live. It's like... Not brand new as if there's no connection. It's kind of renewed, restored. Everything is just overwhelmingly marvelous. And he almost runs out of descriptive words, doesn't he? These, these sort of uh, jewels that if you had them as on, a, on a crown, it would be stunning. Well, he so said whole, the whole place is like that. You pick up that little detail. It's an unusual little detail. In verse 16, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia, 1,400 miles in length. And it was wide and as high as it's long. You kind of hold on a minute. Uh, Bedford is probably, what, four miles that way, three miles that way. But it's not three miles or four miles that way. This is a cube. This is a place that's a cube. 
What's that all about? Well, the author is picking up some picture language from the Old Testament. There is one other building in the Bible that's a perfect cube. It was 20, 20, 20 cubits. It was the holy of holies in the temple of God. It's the the one place that's the perfect cube. It was the dwelling place. It's where the glory of God was. And now the glory of God breaks out, as it were, into the whole cosmos. He's not describing something literalistically. He's describing something symbolically. He's trying to get your sort of your juices, your your imagination working. That that sense, that felt sense of, wow, this is marvelous. And then to the particular verses we're going to look at, verse 22, 27. And this is the point that Kaz made in her talk. Are you excited about what's coming? And he gives us some of these little details in verse 22 uh, to the end of the chapter. I didn't see a temple in the city, the Lord God Almighty, the Lamerit's temple. Don't need a sun and a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. The Lamb is its lamps. And then these verses, the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. No day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He's just giving us some details. Now, he's leaning incredibly heavily on promises in the first part of the Bible. If you have a Bible, don't worry if you haven't, but if you have a Bible, you could turn back to Isaiah chapter 60. And in one sense, he's drawing on the language almost identically. And he says, the glory of the Lord, Isaiah 60, verse 4, the glory of the Lord shines upon you. Um, And he he describes this period, uh, verse 5, you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. The riches of the nations uh, will come. Verse 11, your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night. That the people may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession. So on and so forth. If you had time later, you look it up. He's, He's taking those promises and saying, you know those promises. And you almost felt like, well, they're just so, they're so surreal. They just don't seem like, could that ever happen? Isaiah said things like, well, how is that going to be? The lion will lie down with the lamb and the snake will be at the, like, by the little baby. Is this ever going to be? And they read it and go, well, I don't know. It was, maybe it's one of those like Dada paintings. Is it, is it real? Is it, isn't it real? You know, sort of modern art that you're not quite sure which bits are real. And Isaiah made these great promises. And Revelation takes them up and says, you know, those promises, they are going to happen. They haven't been forgotten. Uh, it, it wasn't Isaiah just sort of slightly got carried away. No, it is going to happen. It takes the language exactly from Isaiah, brings it into our time as we wait for the future. And we get these verses. They're really fascinating verses. The nations will walk by the light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Now, what does that mean? Well, in Isaiah, the the primary meaning there is one of, you'll know that you're on the victory side. 
Because no longer will you be plundered and your wealth taken somewhere else. Now, as it were, you, your king is the universal victor. It's the great sign of victory. All the kings of the earth will pay homage to him, as it were. He will be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And, and you'll know that because all the glory and splendor of those kings will be brought to you. It's a sign of victory. But more than that, it's a sign that God is restoring this great unity diversity thing. And all the lovely things, all the amazing things of people made in God's image will, will somehow have a presence in that great new place. Notice he says it, nothing impure and no one who doesn't belong to Jesus. This is all God's people, not one is lost. All those people from every nation, every tribe, every people and every tongue. Revelation says it will be this massive gathering together of all the people from all around the world. But they won't just be there. They will bring, as it were, into God's new kingdom, the glorious things from, as it were, this life. Now, we don't know how can God cleanse it from every stain. Some Christians have been taught, they, they read, say, 2 Peter chapter 3, and which says all, you know, all the elements will be burnt up and it will disappear, as if God annihilates this world. But that would be to set one scripture against many others where it's much more a picture of cleansing, taking out any sense of evil so that what's in this renewed world is pure, pure people, pure stuff. We get a sense of that in Romans chapter eight, similar kind of vision. It says the whole creation is groaning as, as it were, in the pains of childbirth, longing to be set free to know the liberty of the children of God. It's the groaning of a new birth, not the groaning of a death rattle. The creation around us, the stuff, the creatures, they, they know they're in a broken world, but they're waiting for the day when God fixes the brokenness, restores them and it, with all God's people, and then all the good and honorable and noble things. They're brought into the kingdom. Uh, the signs from all the different nations of the earth of the, the goodness of God worked through human beings doing wonderful things, as it were, are brought into God's kingdom. The, the glory of the nations, the honor of the peoples, now, it's hard to imagine what that might be, but will there be, will there be art and science and design and technology? Will there be costume and fabric and textile? Will there be cuisine, food? Will there be uh, acting and the dramatic arts and the decorative arts? Will all those signs of being made as creative creatures in the image of a creator God... Music, oh my goodness, music. Will music be in the new creation? Well, of course. Now, what kind of music will it be? Well, there's such a variety of music. And nations bring their own kinds of music, don't they? It's not just, well, it'll be bark on, you know, on play it again. You know, endless, 
endless, goes back to the beginning of Bach's. No, it'll be music. There'll be everything that is good and noble and honorable. Administration. An organization. Will that be in the new heavens? Of course. As soon as you start talking about nations, tribes, languages and peoples, that's people organized. So you like organizing. There'll be, there'll be great organizational skill. All the things that speak of a good God that have happened, but they were brought with their own flavors. Now you just think of this. I did this kind of thought experiment. and we, we could, If we had time, we'd do it out loud. But you go, if you think of uh, Italy, you think style. You think of France, you think la cuisine, food. You think of Germany, you think Vorsprung durch Technik. You can't help it. You, it just comes into your mind. You can think of the nations of the earth and you go, oh, yeah. For me, Nigeria, glorious costumes, amazing colors. Uh, you think of Ghana and I think of enthusiasm. Think of the D- DRC, Congo. I think of resilience, fortitude in the place of great struggles. And you could go around the nations. You think of Brazil and you can't help but think of rhythm. You think of Barbados, it's got to be cricket. You, you, whatever you think, you think, yeah, that, that's the flavor. Uh, oh, and it's not just the nations of the earth, it's all the different regions of the earth. You think of Cornwall, can't help but think of seafood, ice cream and pasties. Think of Devon, my dear old Devon, where I was born. You think clotted cream, clotted cream, clotted cream. You, you, uh, Somerset is cider. Bedfordshire, well, it's BBC. Bunyan, Bricks and the Bedfordshire Clanger. If you don't know what that is, you need to find out. You, you think of oh, the peoples of the earth and all the variety. And God says here, the, the kings will bring their honor. In a sense, a sign of paying homage to the king, but also bringing the glorious things that have been cleansed. Now, we, we can't get our heads around that. How can we? You think of acting. And so much that's done is not good and honorable. The films that are made and some of the plays that are written are, are destructive and a sign of our rebellion against God. But they're not all like that. How do we sift the good from the bad? How will God do it? I don't know. Not a clue. What will it look like? I've not, I'm not an idea. All I can do is stab. All we can do is like, yeah, that, what it would be like, but just beyond your wildest expectation. It's Disney's little motto, isn't it? We, want, we aim to exceed expectation. Well, what, the, what the writer is painting here is something beyond our expectation. Beyond, well, if God can do far more abundantly, more than we can ask or even imagine, well, that's what heaven's like. That's what this new world is going to be like. What an exciting prospect to see all the peoples of the earth and bringing all the wonderful things, and forever to enjoy them, forever to experience them, forever to come back to this wonderful unity. Everyone is there who's in the Lamb's book of life. That's our unity, the unity around the cross. But the diversity is phenomenal. All the nations, all the tribes, all the languages, all the peoples, with all the different things that are an expression of God's creative kindness into human beings life made in his image that's the kind of prospect he holds out but then he goes on to say 
as he talks about this prospect. Notice chapter 22 begins with the phrase Eden restored. It's it's a, a, a restored creation, but it's better than. The angel showed me the river, the water of life. And down the middle of the great street on the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of truth. On it goes. There will no longer be any curse. It's, it's Eden restored, but better. Okay, that's the image he gives. But he also says this. He says to this, are you waiting patiently? Are you waiting patiently? Because it, there is a sense when this is not yet. Already we know something, but we don't know it, all its fullness. Notice this little verse here in chapter 22, verse 10. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the one, the holy person continue to be holy. What is John saying here? He's saying, look, I've given you a vision of the future. But I'm now bringing you back to here. This is the future. It is heart-pumpingly wonderful. But right now, we still live in this messed up world. This mixed up world. Where there is good, there is evil. There is joy and there is sorrow. There is confusion as well as clarity. And in one sense, this world keeps on doing its thing. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. This is the world in which I live. I live in a world where I can see this coming, but it's not here yet. Something that is here. I know Christ and there is real sense of togetherness of the people of God. A sense of reconciliation. But we don't yet see this. We don't yet see Eden restored. Now, in the book of Revelation, three times we're told, right from the beginning, right through, all the way through. It's this calls for patience, he says. Uh, patient endurance is the, the way the phrase using in the book of Revelation. This calls for patient endurance. Three times that little phrase, patient endurance. Same in, in, the, in uh, Romans 8, if you look at it. Given this idea of the, you know, we grown, the creation is growing. This calls for patience. That's really important to understand that. What, what, what the kind of patience he means. He's not talking about Luton Airport departure lounge. Have you ever been there and having to exercise patience? You've got your plane delayed and you go, oh, flip. You know, I'm through. I can't even go back out to go and, you know, check, check. Duty free. I'm stuck in the departure lounge. And what am I going to do? Well, I'll just wait here. Fiddle with my phone. Read the free newspaper. Read it again. Fiddle with my phone. Still delay. It's not waiting around doing nothing until you get off to where you want to go. Sadly, some Christians have been taught that that's what this life is like. It's kind of, you're now ready. You're, You're on your way to heaven just wait, you know, just kind of live life as best as you can. But you're in the department. No, it's not like that at all. It is much more like Christmas. I mean, some of you already, my family included, we've already got presents being bought, cards being done. Christmas paper was bought. We're beginning to wrap. You're beginning to prepare. 
it isn't departure lounge, it is Christmas preparations. Now, uh, some of you may have started last year, as far as I know. I don't know what you... But we don't just wait. Oh, you know, well, Christmas is coming. Let's put our feet up. Wait, no, no. We, we think, right, when are we going to get the turkey? Uh, or whatever you eat. When are we going to do that? We, we prepare for Christmas. Because we know it's coming. We get excited about it. And Jesus said... Be like that with heaven. Remember we did it a few months ago, a couple of weeks ago, in the generosity project. Jesus told about the parable of the crook who knew he was going to get fired and he got ready for the day when he was given his cards. So Jesus said, you be like that. You know heaven's coming. Prepare. How do we prepare? We prepare by living full-on Christian lives. In 2 Peter, that chapter where he says, you know, God will melt all the elements and the whole world will be purified with fire. He said, so then you live lives of real commitment. We we don't just sit back and go, oh, well, the world's messed up. The church is messed up. No, he says, no, you live lives of real commitment. You do all you can to, as it were, mirror in your life now what's coming. So you mirror racial harmony. You mirror the celebration of diversity and unity. You mirror the kindness to all. You mirror the celebration of all good gifts. That's what he says. But it calls for great patience. One of the great Christian writers of last century said this. In this life, if it's perfection or nothing, it will always be nothing. Perfection or nothing, it will be nothing. But he says the gospel gives substantial Healing, healing in our minds, healing in our bodies, healing with our relationships, healing in our workplaces. We can bring something of heaven to earth, but patiently waiting for that day when heaven does come to earth at last and the vision of chapter 21 is fulfilled. But it calls for patient endurance. Are you patiently waiting? And final point. Just as we come to the end, not only are you looking forward to what's coming, are you praying for who's coming? Do you ever wonder about heaven? Like at church, yeah, yeah, we talk about heaven at church, but out there, do you, hardly anybody even talks about dying out there, do they? They certainly don't really talk much about what's coming out there. So it makes you feel, am I a bit weird, really? You know, this stuff about heaven, I, I kind of believe it. I believe it, but I just sometimes feel, am I going mad? Like, if this is so wonderful, why isn't it on the lips of every human being? Like, am, I being am I being conned? Am I being taken in? Am I just being psychologically manipulated? That's what Karl Marx thought, wasn't it? He thought all this was the opiate of the people. The people, the bourgeois, in charge of everything, telling the, the lumpen proletariat, the working class, the ordinary people, look, I know conditions are terrible, but put up with it because you're going to heaven. And Marx said, that was just some great con trick. You know, life is terrible, but anyway, it's God's will because you're going to heaven. Something, am, I, am I conned? But look, who speaks in this last chapter? Well, three times you hear the voice of the king, Jesus. Look, I am coming soon. Verse 12, look, I am coming 
soon. Verse 14, I, Jesus, so you're under no illusion. Who is this voice? It's the voice of Jesus. And once more, he says, look, I am coming. Three times, Jesus says, I'm coming. What, what persuades us this is real is not that we've got a vivid, vivid, vivid imagination. It's because Jesus is the guarantee. We live in a world that says there's only stuff. There's life and death and that's it. Most people around us in the West have hold on to that for dear life. But you only need one to have broken the power of death for that whole view of life to be exposed as empty and false. And that one is Jesus. He has conquered death. And though we can't yet see, we believe because we know he's true. Our confidence that this is a real picture of a coming world is because we have seen Jesus. And many of you in this hall have heard the voice of Jesus. Not physically, but you've heard it when the Bible was explained to you. You are hearing not just the voice of a preacher trying to persuade you. You begin to say, this is true. This makes sense. This Jesus is speaking the truth. He is. And you've come to that place where, like Peter, you say this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You have the words of eternal life. There is no one else I can go to. You alone can forgive my sins. Many of you have come to that point because you have heard his voice and you're hearing his voice here again. I am coming soon. And what is the response? Well, three times Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And in Revelation 22, three times is the prayer, come Lord Jesus. Notice how it ends, verse 20. Three times. See, here's the third time Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You're praying for him to come. Now, the modern church doesn't pray like that. We have become quite satisfied with life as it is, really. But we need to get much more excited about this. That day when there will be no ethnic tension. That day when there will be no age discrimination. That day when everybody... Well, as it were, have that sense of we're in the presence of this most marvelous king. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, here's a question. Can you pray that prayer now? Can you pray that prayer? If he answered the prayer and came now, would you be ready for him? Are you ready for the coming of the king? If you are, you pray it. But if you hesitate, you go, I don't know. I don't know. Well, remember what he said. The only people there who are names written in the Lamb's book of life. The people ready for that place are the people ready to pray, come Lord Jesus. And if, you haven't, if you're not in that place yet, why don't you pray the prayer, come Lord Jesus into my life now. Come Lord Jesus to bring me your forgiveness now. I need your mercy now. I need to be delivered from a, a view of life that says, this is it. I need my I, I need my. My unbelief dealt with. I need, I need my ears to hear your voice. The voice who says this. Notice Revelation 22, verse 17. These are marvelous words. The spirit and the bride say, come, that the one 
who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Christianity, why has God not come back? Because God is patient. He doesn't want any of us to perish. He wants us to come and take the free gift of eternal life, the water of life, the forgiveness of our sins, so that we will find ourselves in that number when the saints go marching in. And won't our hearts pound at the presence of our King? Thanks, John.